and welcome to Elixir Talk, the podcast where we talk about Elixir. Full stop. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I'm here with Chris Bell. Hi Desmond, thanks for ripping off my intro there. Chris uh, fed me that intro just before I hit record. What a what a line, right? I should have let you do it. Yeah, I didn't mean the full stop so literally, but I loved it. <laughs> well, how do you convey a full stop? You just stop talking? Yes. Yep. That, that usually does it implied periods etc you know i don't know the english language is beyond my grasp still really fully so and i feel bad for my mom who's an english teacher and uh i still don't really know what an adjective is so you don't know what an adjective is (laughs) i'm i'm half joking i like still sometimes have issues there i don't think our education in the uk is that great i think that's basically what this boils down to (laughs) Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, the podcast where the English co-host does not understand English. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great position to be in, right? (laughs) Anyway, moving swiftly on from uh, from that, are we going to get loads of written letters angrily from our English listeners who are like, what the hell? He's misrepresenting the entirety (laughs) of the UK. (laughs) I don't think you speak for everyone. I think you just speak for yourself. I hope so. I hope people recognize that. So, yeah. Well, What's new, Desmond? What's, what's new? What's new indeed? So, uh, we are coming off of another awesome MPEX. This one was MPEX LA, which went down on Saturday, February 2nd. And it was great. Like, planning these events is, is always kind of funny because it's a lot of work and it's this and it's that. And, and um, I mean, it's sort of fun, but it's it's also a lot of work. And then all of a sudden you get the payoff and it happens all at once. And it was a ton of fun. I mean, we had some great trainings on Friday. Uh, I led one on um, what it's like to use Elixir in production, which is pretty cool. And then the Nerves guys, Frank and Justin, came out and they led a cool workshop um, building a Nerves project and uploading it to Nerves Hub, which is awesome. And several people uh, came up to me afterwards and were like, yeah, you know, it's just... You push the button and you see the light blink and it's so satisfying. Like the physical stuff is so satisfying, you know? Um, so that was great. We had a wonderful speaker's dinner at uh, the home of one of our organizers, Hannah. And, you know, it's it's super collegial. I mean, you were at the speaker's dinner last year and it's just people are hanging out. And like, it's a really great way for everyone to mingle and like meet each other and really get a sense for we're part of this thing tomorrow. And then the day of was great. I mean, we were back at the same warehouse yeah. We were in last year, same piano player. Um, it the roof ra- leaked. It did rain. <laughs> the roof leaked everywhere. But uh, honestly, I think that was like the only mishap in the entire day. And like that wasn't even your fault. So that's pretty good going. Yeah. I thought we managed it pretty well. It was also kind of cold. Um, uh, yeah. I, I left New York expecting some glorious sunshine and arrived in rain and had that the entire weekend. So, you know, didn't deliver on that front. Yeah, pretty embarrassing for Los Angeles. But I have to say, though, the day was awesome. The speakers were great. Very, very high quality content and really good attendees as well. Um, So thanks to everyone who attended, came up, talked about listening to the podcast. And also special shout out to those folks that bought a ticket from listening to the podcast. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah, sorry, but I still am, like, amazed that anyone even listens, and then to to the extent that they listen to what we say and buy a ticket for an event that we talk about. I guess we talk about it a lot, but, um, 
yeah, it's just really great to meet you all. And um, I don't know, to hear your stories about how you listen to us on the way to places, running, the gym, whatever it is that you're doing and listening to this weird talking about Elixir that we sometimes do. Um, and yeah, so massively appreciate it. Also, how much feedback did we get about needing to talk about Star Trek more? Quite a bit. I was going to say, like, maybe they bought the ticket so they could, or maybe they listen to the podcast so that they want, they hear us talk about Star Trek and the Elixir is just a filler for them. That Yeah. And, and yet we disappoint week on week. So yeah, there we go. But uh, Desmond, you did a great job introing and comparing and all those things and uh, really helped kind of build that community feel. Um, and yeah, just excellent day. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, it's really awesome to see people coming together because like you can watch the talks online and you should all watch the talks online because they're really strong talks. But like it always has a vibe of you had to you had to be there. I mean, the, the venue is cool. We had the disco ball. We had the musician. This year, we even had uh, an artist come in and do watercolors. Oh, she was amazing. Like, they look so good. So are you going to publish those somewhere or put them somewhere? Or? Yeah, we'll put them up on Twitter. We had uh, – she did one of each speaker. Mm. So here's here's the thing, folks. If you speak at MPEX LA, you will have uh, a painting made of you speaking. And we're mailing those out to our speakers. This is all at Damn. no charge, of course. Um, and yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll post those to our Twitter account cause they're pretty cool. Yeah. No, no, no. They looked incredible. Like I saw them on the day and they were like, they were so good. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, she yeah. was painting them live. It was, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, and, and the, the single track and, and the, the vibe and the community there, like it was small enough that everyone got a chance to meet each other mm-hmm. and that's cool. Like it's, it's always a bummer when you go to a conference and like, you don't, you don't end up talking to people and I'm shy. And it can be hard to make those introductions or, you know, just go up and chat with some strangers at lunch or whatever. But this venue like really encourages like, oh, you just kind of sit down at a table and everyone's there and everyone wants to say hello. Definitely. And yeah, like making those connections, I think, is the real value of attending events like this. Definitely. Yeah. I second that wholeheartedly. So, yeah, such a good day. And shout out to all the organizers there. I think you all did a a stellar job. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks. And on a very related note, uh, on a very MPEXy note, uh, we are in the midst of planning the New York conference as Ooh. well. So uh, that is going to be on May. Chris, don't fuck up the date. Uh, one second. I usually get this wrong, so I want to get this right. So that's going to be on Saturday, May the 18th. Um, here in New York City, the best city in the world, apparently. I hate saying that. It's like very hyperbolic, but... Um, New York is a great city, so you should come and hang out in the jazz club that we rent out. We're actually... Oh, God. I was going to say, have you ever been to LA? <laughs> Mostly just downtown. <laughs> yeah. But LA is great. Uh, New York is a superior place. But um, <clears throat> we... Yeah, so... the I'm edit CF- that part out. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you have that power, so... Um, the CFP for the New York conference is now open. It's going to be open until later on in March. Uh, if you are looking to give a talk, if, if you've never given a talk before, if you want to talk about something to do with Alexa or something tangentially to do with functional programming, whatever you've got, come, go on the CFP, put in your talk. We love 
having first time speakers, we can help coach you through if it's your first time speaking, if you need help with slides. Just a reminder, we pay for flights, we pay for hotels, we treat our speakers extremely well. You are the conference. So we thank you so much for putting in your talks and please do it. If you're, uh, if you need any help, you can also hit me up on Twitter. Um, and I will be happy to help you out. So yeah, you could just go to mpex.co forward slash NYC and you can do all of that there. So mm-hmm. yeah, check it out. Check it out. Yeah. And then, uh, we'll have some very exciting news about the conference soon. I won't go into too much of that right now, but. We're mixing it up a little bit from previous years. So we're in mm. our fourth year of doing MPEX, which is crazy. Wow. Literally mind-blowing to me in some weird way that uh, I've been talking to Desmond for four years, but also doing this conference <laughs> for four years. And it's kind of mind-blowing that um, we've managed to do a conference for four years because, uh, I don't know, every year we seem to just get more and more laps <laughs> but we churn them out and people come and uh hopefully you're enjoying it so yeah it means the world to us to put this on and we're excited to do another one so hopefully see you there or see you speaking there sweet check it out mpex nyc where it all began where it all began yeah so desmond so what's Chris, up in the world of of elixir for you were you gonna say what's up in the world of computers <laughs> I wasn't, but no. <laughs> maybe we should. Well, ha- have the computers been treating you well? I guess. I've been using the same computer for a couple of years now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm actually at that point where I'm like, I need to get a new one. So, I don't know. That's the thing that's going to happen. Oh, I do want to say one thing. I One of my excellent uh, employees here at Frame has been running uh, an Elixir study group to teach more people at Frame.io how to use Elixir. And I was part of it for the first time today. And I'm like buzzing from the fact that I got to teach people Elixir still. So uh, I just wanted to shout out to my team because they are crushing it. And it's really cool to see more people learning Elixir. Awesome. We we run a coding school at Versus where I work. Uh, It's more of like an introductory programming um class for some of the other people on uh some of the other people at the company who aren't on the engineering team and yeah like we're teaching them elixir because i think it's easier to teach people functional programming because it's just like functions and data nice how's that been going down pretty well yeah pretty well i mean it's a mix of we meet once a week and then there's some homework assignments and then uh the rest of the week there's like cohen's and some code katas and you know, we give them links to Elixir School and stuff. Nice. But we, yeah, we, we're working on our own curriculum and it's pretty personalized. And it's cool because, like, people learn programming a little differently. And uh, if you don't have any programming experience, then it's it's weird starting from scratch. You know, like, mm. this is a variable as opposed to coming to the language from a different language. Yeah. I, I, most of the people in, in this Elixir study group at Frame, um, they're going through the programming elixir book by dave thomas Mm -hmm. and they're kind of going through but most of them have programming experience in other languages so it's been really interesting to see people's reactions to certain parts of the language in elixir and explaining idiosyncrasies as well with the language 
Um, so just today we were talking about keyword lists versus maps, mm-hmm. which we shouldn't go into ever again, <laughs> just for anyone that's listened to that episode. And uh, yeah, we were talking about that and why you use one versus the other and why that exists in the language. And it's funny how much of the language is context, right? Like why something exists because of reasons before. Mm-hmm. And they were also lamenting at the fact that there's like various ways to invoke functions. Like why do you, why can you, um, when you use the function capture syntax in mm-hmm. a, like a, when you're, um, when you're doing that, why can you call it with the like slash one if, or why can you use that like ampersand one, you know, when you're passing mm-hmm. a capture into it. So we're explaining some of those like idiosyncrasies and why you can do things in different ways. And, uh, the fact that most of it is just syntactic sugar effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I don't know. I tend to feel like Elixir has a couple of different paths, but it's not as divergent as some languages. And I think that I think that helps with beginners learning it, definitely. I have no intention of talking about name captures for a while. Like, we just got into the enum module, so this is, like, oh, nice. actually highly relevant. But we've been writing out all of our anonymous functions just to oh, really cool. okay. drive home, like, this, is the, this takes a function. And that function mm-hmm. receives, you know, whatever arguments, one or two, that it receives... And then you apply that function to where the input is. And I think once you, I think it takes a while to get comfortable with that and just like really hammering home, this is what's going on here. So then you can get back into, oh, well, if you want to do this, here's some shorthand. It's the same way, like we introduced the shorthand do syntax on functions. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should have. No, it's probably easier to just do the do end, right? Yeah. And then don't explain to people that you can do shorthand at all. Yeah. yeah. Just. Focus on getting comfortable with that and getting stuff done in the language. Yeah, we went today, we did enums into streams. And that was a really interesting experience. It made me realize, like, people are asking about, like, how does streams work under the hood? And I was like, uh, and uh, luckily I had someone else who's just uh, actually a lot more knowledgeable than me about most of these things in the room. And, uh, that was that was really good to mm-hmm. have someone else explain some of the concepts because I, I realized like what a horrible job I did at explaining it first time around. <laughs> like uh, it's funny talking about streams being lazy and how they get evaluated, but also how you think conceptually about that concept. Mm-hmm. You know about like how something knows to call a next on it and you keep yielding back uh, and grabbing values from it, and how you can explain that in a really like baseline kind of way Mm -hmm. and also like talking about when you need to use that versus using enum etc so yeah it's been good i'm i'm i don't know i'm just very excited to see more people learning the language yeah and i think it's like you sort of alluded to this but i think it's a straightforward language to learn just because it's not that big yeah except for like have you gone into like with or like for comprehensions or any of that yet no like no. They're, the, they're the like weird corners of the language that like today we were talking about like protocols as well and talking about enum as a protocol and kind of abstracting some of those concepts and then and then we got talking about collectibles like mm-hmm. the enum into and how that's like a collectible protocol but i never even thought about that <laughs> in the la- like I, d- I don't know about you I don't know if I, this is just a weird Chris thing, <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. There's just like edges of the language, are like like four comprehensions I barely use. I think I've used it when you need to do like the Cartesian product and that's it, you know, like mm-hmm. do this and this thing and then, and, but, and that gets very difficult to write in maps or whatever else, but mm-hmm. yeah. 
it's been a, it's been an interesting experience teaching people again so something i'd love to do more of so cool teach more people well if i could switch gears a little bit pop the clutch on this one <laughs> uh i have a controversial opinion that i want to lay on i want to lay on you okay and our listeners i don't think it's a good idea to store state in processes okay yeah so and people talk a lot about or there's a lot of literature around like, well, this is where you store state in this language. You have this long running process, this gen server, it does this thing, you send it messages. Cool. But like, there's other ways of doing that that I think are more useful depending on your use case. So mm-hmm. quick reminder about gen servers, you spin up this process, it receives messages, it processes them uh, one at a time, and it stores state through a recursive receive loop. It basically, call it gets a message does the thing and then calls receive again with whatever state you've updated and um that's how it it stores it in memory it doesn't like keep it somewhere it's basically on a stack Mm -hmm. this presents a couple of problems one is that if the data it has is uh highly contested then it presents a bottleneck if one of your gen servers is holding something that a lot of other processes need they're all going to queue up waiting to get that piece of data so you don't get concurrency or read concurrency from it you can serialize writes if that's a thing that matters. I mean, there's this natural funneling of work, which can be useful, but you don't have any options for having everyone read from it. Another issue is uh, what happens when the process dies. And we hear about this let it crash a lot, but I think that's that hasn't sat well with a lot of us because it's like, well, what do you mean like let it crash? What happens to my data? The answer is it goes away. And unless you built the process in such a way that it knows how to recover its data when it turns back on, I mean, that is a way to recover your data. Maybe you hydrate it from the database, but that implies that the data is already somewhere else and you're just using this gen server as a cache, or it's been passed in from a supervisor uh, when it was started up, in which case you start the process back with uh, whatever was passed in. Which is yeah. a gotcha. Like if you put something that's dynamically evaluated when the process starts, it doesn't reevaluate it when it restarts. Uh, this is, again, when you've passed in that initial state from a supervisor init, and then you've passed that through start link and then down to init. Whereas if you have put your like setup logic in the init function, then it will rerun it. This Furthermore, this can be an expensive operation to rehydrate this thing. So that's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying. And like finding which process that you want to do the thing like um at versus my company we keep player sessions in memory as separate processes well to find the one that we want we keep a mapping of like player id to session pid mm-hmm. in ets so every time we want to send a message to one of these processes we have to first go look it up in the dictionary of what's the pid and then send it the message so that gets a little clunky and like why why man why 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 then you call the client function on the gen server which turns around and calls the server function which then turns around and calls the logic function which actually does the thing and like why why you know what i want sorry you're gonna say something i'm gonna ask what you're advocating for instead so it depends (laughs) (laughs) okay i would say if you want to keep stuff in memory use ets Mm-hmm. which is short for Erlang term storage. It's an in-memory key value store. It can natively store Erlang terms. Um, so you don't have to worry about marshalling and unmarshalling your objects. You just drop them in there. It's got really fast lookup. 
and you can set write concurrent uh, read concurrency on it as well as write concurrency. You can also turn off write concurrency, which gives you uh, the same natural um, uh, bottlenecking. Now the table itself doesn't do any logic; it's just holding this state. You still have to have some other module that fetches the data, does the stuff, and writes it back. Right. But that's more or less what you do with a gen server. Only now you don't have bottlenecks. So have you found in your experience the gen servers being the bottleneck? Depending on the piece of data, yeah. Like the way that we yeah. set a lot of it up. Well, in one case, yeah. So we cache, we keep some data in um, gen servers as a cache. Or we started to do this. Then we realized, oh, like everyone needs this. So let's move it to an ETS table. Mm-hmm. Do you think, is this is this like a blanket statement of like don't store processes, don't store like state and processes, right, is one thing, but isn't this like a misunderstanding of uh, the trade-offs and like a better approach to storing state as well? Like ETS is like, that's why it exists, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's all about re-concurrency. It's all about eliminating those bottlenecks. Mm-hmm. So do you think that you went down the path of gen servers because you felt like ETS was too complex? Like, what can you talk through some of the reason in there? We like the the conceptual model of every session is its own process, and so we wanted when we want to do something to or with a session, we look up the process and have it manage it. And if mm-hmm. something gets corrupted, then it doesn't corrupt all the other processes. Right, but realistically, that could all just be stored in the same ETS table or something. Yeah, exactly. Like the data could be stored there, and right in a centralized pla- like centralized place, and then use that as a centralized cache effectively. Yeah, exactly. And it again, the wiring of like finding the process you want and then doing a thing with it adds right. an unnecessary layer of complexity. So you still have to have a lookup table for the PID, which you don't have to do if you have an ETS table. And then you're straight to the data rather than doing this in direction. Yeah, exactly. So like processes, like it doesn't bias anything there. And ETS has its own weaknesses, which is that if you're going multi-node, then an ETS table just lives on a single node. So then you have to look into debts or amnesia. Mm-hmm. There's also like the crashing problems with ETS as well, right? Like, what was that? I can't remember this, but... If the process that set if the process that creates the ETS table dies, it also takes down the ETS table with it. Uh, I believe it orphans the ETS table. Okay, and then you have to have something that's listening for those events and then reparents it or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think a way around that is we create a like parent process for yeah, our yeah, yeah. ETS yeah. table, and it doesn't do anything. Like it handles lookups, but like. Mm. No, it doesn't even handle lookups. Is it basically there to supervise the ETS table? Yeah, it just sits there yeah. and it doesn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember doing the same thing with the Carver project where we had, I think we used a lib in the end that like does this under the hood and it deals with all like the, you get some like weird, uh, you know, like you normally get down messages when something goes down. Mm-hmm. Like in this case, it's like a handle info with some very particular ETS message that tells you that it needs to change ownership or something. Yeah, if you have the owner process just sit there and not do anything, like it's mm. not going to crash. And then all the reads come in on other processes. Right. So I think the blanket statement of like don't store stuff in a gen server is like don't store very like highly read data in a gen server, right? But again, even data that's not read that much, like any one of our particular sessions doesn't have that high of like read or write volume. But the mechanism, like the wiring of talking to these things and finding the one you want to talk to uh, and then dealing with like data loss and recovery adds a fair amount of complexity. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, like maybe the answer is we've been doing it wrong. But it's, I mean, it seemed like a good idea at the time, which isn't really an excuse, but it still feels like that's the way that the community pushes us. And that's what we talk about, this language of, oh, here's how you store state, put in a process. Mm. Do we talk about that? Because I think, the, like, if you if you think about it, like, ETS is there, right? Like, ETS is built into Erlang, like, you can just roll it. And I think that even the docs push you in that direction for read concurrency. Mm-hmm. If I remember, mm-hmm. I haven't looked at the gen server docs for a long time, but, and the same with the agent docs, right? Or does it, the agents have the same problem? I can never remember this. Yeah. Agents are just gen servers. Yeah. But I thought they like handle read concurrency better. Mm, I don't know. Maybe that's not true. I've never used an agent because it's like, why? All the examples are like, you store a counter and it's like, okay, mm. sure. Right. Right. I think that, do, 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 do. Yeah, agents are just basically the wrapper around keeping state, right? That's the that's the bottom line there. I just can't remember if there's any better read concurrency with it. It probably isn't if it's just a wrapper around a gen server. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. I'm trying to search quickly in the docs. Um, duh, 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 duh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think like, yeah, I think the docs point you in the direction of ETS in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's like it strikes me as like what do you do with a gen server right like what should you keep in there and what should you model in a process versus modeling in some other centralized state store whether it be local to the node or not Mm -hmm. so that's kind of an interesting question trying to think about situations where successfully use a gen server to model simplistic state can't think of any really 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 good use cases why you would only use that you know Mm mm-hmm I think like simple state, it makes sense. Like if it's not doing much, it's just needs to grab some data, put it in there, act as a simple cache. It's very like low on the read. Then like a gen server is reasonable or an agent as a specialization of that gen server is reasonable, right? Well, but again, if it's your cache, like what happens when the thing dies? Like you turn the system off and turn it back on. I mean, but you've got that. The thing is, is like about that is like that that's going to be a problem no matter that that's just a problem of keeping things in state so whether it's in ETS, whether it's there wherever it is that's that's going to be a problem for your system right mm-hmm. but like at the same time like punting it off to external systems you're basically like saying hey hey postgres like i'm going to trust you with this state and you know how to deal with it because that's a specialized system for dealing with state and s- storing state longer term right and whatever it might be and being able to query that state but you're not like totally alleviating that problem you're just putting it to someone else's like concern right like you're saying that there's these things that are sometimes better place for storing this stuff but i think sometimes we see all those things as like a uh, like a, a silver bullet for like you know don't worry about it just put it in a database but you have other problems with scaling a db as well you know like mm-hmm. have you tried scaling a db with billions of records like that's that's never going to be a fun problem and you end up with like needing to shard needing to make sure that like you're backing up all the time like even restoring backups can be a pain in the ass so there's still you know there's there's still problems elsewhere Mm -hmm. and i think there are there are situations where state and memory and stateful things is a really really good use case right i i deeply believe that the problem that you guys are solving like where you need incredibly fast like incredibly low latency reads like doing that in memory is like the only way you're going to deliver that right at scale 100 percent. and the same with like there's like 
sports betting and ad serves and stuff like that where like super low latency like very high read throughput like the only way you can deliver that is through like in memory basically Mm -hmm. you know where the milliseconds count you don't have the milliseconds to do a db lookup so and and like you're intentionally making different trade-offs there in your system as well right yeah i'm just saying like i think a lot of that stuff deserves (laughs) to live in ads yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm. By the way, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I think Etsy is the place to put it. It's my 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 endeavor now is figuring out why you put it in a gen server and not somewhere else. So. Well, yeah. Again, that seemed like a good idea at the time to say yeah. like each session is its own process. It's a clean model for communicating with them, and mm-hmm. uh, trouble with one doesn't affect the other. Right. Definitely. Right. Yeah. It just didn't. It didn't buy us a lot. So. We're moving to Amnesia now. Actually, there was a talk at MPEX LA that our CTO gave about Amnesia. and Yeah, actually a really great te- uh, practical Amnesia talk, which um, I feel like isn't a term I've said before. So, yeah, it was, I think it was very, very useful. It was really cool seeing it in the real world as well. Like I've heard a lot of like theoretical things about Amnesia, but never much about mm-hmm. people really using it. So Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it like persists to disk, you know? Mm-hmm. Shards across nodes. It's pretty slick, but the documentation around it is not uh, super thorough. I think the people that use it already know how to use it. Hmm. So there's not as many resources for the rest of us. I was I was looking at our code base about like where we've been using gen servers to keep state as well. Uh-huh. So I just wanted to comment on that. Um, so we use it around our web hook dispatcher that where it basically just keeps a queue of events that need to be processed. So every single time we need to send out something, it keeps that in memory, queues up an event to send, keeps track of all of the open Hackney streams that are like um, HTTP connections and knows how to publish events from the queue to a particular stream and not overload itself. So that's one place where we're using gen servers to keep state, but it's very simple state. It's not complex kind of state at all here you know it's a single process that's doing it and when you deploy your app don't you lose all that don't you lose that state yeah we so we've got around that a lot with so this is being fed by our event bus so i think there's other ways to deal with that problem right like you're basically you could say that we are gonna back up the events that need to be sent or capture them if they fail whatever happens there act an event once it's been sent you know there's there's other ways to deal with that distributed problem like distributed kind of state going away problem Mm -hmm. so yeah that's what we're doing today Mm. and like it's acceptable for us to say that uh we keep all these events around and we're processing them and if the node goes down we're not going to lose it um we can rerun and replay all those events you know Mm -hmm. that's that's something that we've designed in the system from the Mm get-go yeah yeah like if you built it from the ground up to persist that then that's fun. Already, I think you're talking about a lot of extra wiring around like, mm-hmm. oh, we're just going to store state in this process. It's like, yeah, well, to support that, there's a bunch of infrastructure under the hood. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's a, like that's the, the thing that everyone re- needs to realize. Actually, um, Miriam's talk is all about that, right? Like, it's like, Erlang seems like a silver bullet for all your problems sometimes. And like, do you just connect nodes together and everything's fine? And like, you'll be able to do all these magical things and you don't have to have all these problems. But the reality is, is that you still have a lot of those problems and you need to understand where the 
um, what trade-offs you're making in your system by adopting these technologies and what what trade-offs you're making by adopting storing state in a process or whatever you're doing there and what you need to do to deal with the consequences of that as well and whether that's an acceptable thing for you to uh, be investing in 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 the state of your company or whatever you're you're doing right now chris is referring to uh miriam pinna's opening keynote at mpex la the other day thanks desmond which we will post a link to in the show notes so many mpex talks in that show notes so yeah they were awesome do you remember ashi's closing keynote oh yeah i haven't stopped thinking about that so it was an incredible talk i'm really glad i got to be there in person to witness it i thought it was uh yeah probably the best technical talk delivery i've ever seen yeah i mean spellbinding it was a real story and i haven't watched the video i'm not sure if that's really going to come across in quite the same way but she's just such such an engaging speaker yeah and like literally everyone went to the after party just talking about this talk so Mm -hmm. i don't think you can ask so much more as a conference organizer right well sort of i mean she she and i were joking uh afterwards because i delivered the closing remarks following her talk so i get up on stage and I, i thank her later she was like was everything cool? Like you gave me a weird look and I was wondering if I screwed up the talk (laughs) and I told her like, no, I just Uh, didn't know how to follow you. I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That I, I honestly, I would have just like, I don't know. It's given up. Gone into a weird (laughs) mode of just saying words that meant nothing for a long time on the stage. So uh, I think you did a good job to just even get up there and say anything. So man, yeah, that's a tough one. Well, my loss is your gain. So uh, check that out. So in closing with this topic, you're saying, Gen servers can be useful for some kind of state, maybe, maybe, sometimes. But ETS is a great way to go if that's one of the decisions that you're able to make on your system. If you need something that has pretty high read throughput, ETS is, a, ETS is a definitely a good way to go, storing centralized state. But there's another thing here that you can do, right? You can still have like many ETS tables running. The mm-hmm. overhead in having an ETS table isn't that high, so... If you still want some of those guarantees about state separation and some of the like protections that the supervision tree can afford, yeah, that that might be an interesting way to go as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you can use gen servers for things like um, recurring jobs or background yeah. workers, that sort of thing. But then they're not really storing state; they're just other like actors in your system. Right. So that's the key. There's like they're storing like temporary like ephemeral state, and it's okay for it to go away or whatever, right? Like and yeah. what you're talking about is longer lived state that, you know, the state might go away, but it's actually okay if it does, uh, or you have mechanisms in which to rehydrate or do whatever you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things where it's okay, like you said, if you lose the state or it's easy to recreate, or the state is not that useful. It's like, well, here's the last time I ran, that sort of thing. Do you think this is our like twenty fifth episode just talking about stateful processes and stateful versus non stateful systems? Well, the other day one of my colleagues was like, What was he like? He was going through some of our early catalog and he said, You know, you should talk about some of that stuff again. I mean, I don't know how many people go back and listen to our early episodes, but he said, you know, maybe there's more there and I remarked that uh, you and I, Chris, have talked about revisiting a bunch of topics because, like, we change our minds, yeah. we learn new stuff, we constantly get corrected yeah. by members of the community. <laughs> um, Thank you. And, yeah. you know, the technology is still evolving. Mm-hmm. And we're all kind of learning new use cases as we go. Yeah, definitely. And I think our opinions change as, as time goes on and the experience grows with systems, right? And you learn the intricacies of running these, th- these things in production and what it means and what it means for your team to adopt it as well. So. 
yeah, it's definitely worth revisiting. We should do more of that. Yeah, I mean, I hope our opinions change because, like, otherwise we would just still be <laughs> bratty teenagers. And <laughs> yeah, otherwise just listen to the old ones and don't bother listening. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, so thank you so much for listening. As always, uh, we would love to hear your feedback on this episode or any other episode we've published to date. So you can hit us up on Twitter, which is twitter.com slash elixirtalk. And as always, we love hearing from you and we love your ratings and reviews on wherever you're getting this podcast in your ear holes right now. So please go on there, give us a rating, let all your friends know and spread the word about Elixir Talk. So yeah, there we go. Cool. And as always, keep elixiring. Keep elixiring. Keep elixiring. Thanks, folks.